Dad was all set to fly drugs back and forth across the Mexico-Texas border when Tommy Allen Combs, the guy who had hired Dad for this job, decided he was going to hold court in the street. Mom and Dad, they ended up listening to the shootout on the radio, and that night they saw it on the evening news. Needless to say, Tommy Allen Combs, well, he was no longer of this planet by that night. And Mom and Dad, I guess that left a sour taste in their mouth because they decided that maybe, perhaps, possibly, running drugs back and forth across the border probably not the best idea in the world. So Ma and Paul Johnson started doing what many in Eastern Kentucky decide they're going to do. They resorted to small and medium level fraud and scams. I mean, hell, you've got to eat, right? And one thing about fraud and crime in general, criminals tend to work with the tools which they are given, which Eastern Kentucky in the 1980s, not many tools around. The internet certainly wasn't there. Plus, mom and dad, not really what you'd consider hardened criminals. They were more criminals of the opportunistic variety. The tools available to Ray and Carol Sue? Well, dad had already had his dreams of running drugs shot down with Tommy Allen. So what was left? Well, they had a car. Now, I can't tell you the number of cars and homes which have met untimely ends at the hands of Ray Johnson and Carol Sue, whatever her last name may be right now. And yes, I don't even know my mom's last name. See, mom has a bit of a problem being truthful with anyone, even her kids. I do know the first car they did away with was a Ford LTD. I, I think it was a 1979 model, dark blue. Dad was laid off from mining. You see, unemployment and food stamps weren't cutting it for paying the bills. We had a lot of yard sales. We tried to sell things for extra money to survive. We even ended up going to these auctions where people would sell their old household crap. We'd buy it and try to resell it at yard sales to try to make more money. Looking back, we were always short on money. We did well while dad was in the military, but once he was shoot out, well, things went south pretty quickly. So my parents did what they could. And then one day, one of them, I don't remember which one, they mentioned that LTD. You know, we got that Ford out there. And we could put full coverage on it. Huh. And then what would we drive, genius? Well, we could buy a car at the auction. Wouldn't be that much. It could give us some extra money. Now, here's the thing. My dad lacks motivation. He always has. Give him a recliner and a TV, and he tends to be pretty happy. That isn't to say he won't work, though. My dad worked his ass off trying to provide for us and trying to make Carol Sue happy. It's just that dad never really had any real ambition. Very bright man, just not driven by much of anything except his love for my mom. Mom, though? Oh, shit. Motivation from hell. She was the driving wheel. She wanted money. She wanted nice things. Her problem was she didn't really want to have to work for them. She went to school and became an LPN. Very sporadic job history. She would hold a job for a couple of weeks, couple of months, and she'd quit. And it was always like that. My dad was the provider for our family. We couldn't depend on mom making enough money to do much of anything. So dad would work. He was just never motivated to do any better. He took the world as it was and never really expected any more from it than what it gave him. Mom, mom always demanded more, and she always drove my dad. Of course, I can't remember her ever motivating him to do something that was actually good or that actually worked out. So I like to think that that Ford LTD sat outside, kind of sad, looking like it knew it was short for this planet. Dad, well, he hum-hawed around. He wasn't really sure he actually wanted to break the law. And Mom, Carol Sue, she just got angrier and angrier. She'd look at him, you yellow son of a bitch. And him, 
Dad would say, now Carolyn, don't you Carolyn me. Carolyn, I just don't think we really need to do this. I'll go back to work pretty soon. Oh, no, you won't. And so what when you do? I'll only go back on strike a couple months after that. We are going to lose everything we have, Ray Jean. And Dad, Dad sat there with his head bowed down because he knew, he knew it was true. We were losing everything. Miners, coal miners, were always on strike, usually for some bullshit reason. When he worked, oh yeah, the money was really good. Problem was, is he would work for two or three months, and then the union would go on strike asking for something like higher wages or benefits or increased safety. They would go on strike for a good six months and go back to work with little or nothing accomplished. It happened all the time, so gradually, we were losing every single thing we had. Mom and Dad going broke. And let me tell you, boys and girls, no better motivation on this planet than seeing the future full of nothing but poverty. That tends to get one off their ass. Still, my dad, I just don't know, Carolyn. You got a fucking pussy between your legs. What about your fucking children? You think I'm going to live like this? It's at that point right there that I picture that old Ford LTD out in that parking lot saying, Oh, shit. The car, well, the car ended up missing. Denise and me, we woke up one morning, walked into the living room. Mom and Dad were sitting there in the living room, kind of this bleary-eyed look all over their face. Hey, good morning, Dad, I said. Hey, Brett. You all just get up. Dad looked at me. No, we've been up a while. Oh, okay. Mom looks at us. Someone stole the car last night. I looked at my mom. She was dead serious. So I looked over at Denise. Denise, my sister, was waiting for me to say something. I guess she was going to follow my lead. Mom, oh, someone stole the car. Oh, I guess it's while we were asleep. Oh, God damn it. So I guess I'm supposed to play along. I mean, Mom and Dad know that Denise and me know they stole their own car. And Denise and me know that mom and dad know that Denise and me know they stole their own car. But they damn sure aren't acting like it. Even my dad is signaling that we need to follow suit. Oh, it'll be okay, Carolyn. Okay! Okay! Some son of a bitch stole our car! What if they would have decided to break in? What then, Ray Jean? What would we have done? Would you have protected us? Dad? Dad is looking at mom like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, he's kind of got that bug-eyed look, mouth slightly open, kind of a gape, like, what the fuck, dude? No, you wouldn't have done a damn thing. They could have come in here and robbed us blind or killed us, and you wouldn't have done anything. Mom's looking at Dad all accusingly like, that's what you are, you fucking... This episode of the Angler Fish Podcast, where we visit the darkest corners of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original internet godfather. How did I get that title? 39 felonies, a place on the United States Most Wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. This first season of the Anglerfish podcast 
tells of my rise and fall as the world's first internet godfather. It's a fascinating story. You'll learn how cybercriminals think, how modern cybercrime came into being, and why it's so successful and hard to stop, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to one of using the knowledge I acquired as a criminal to help protect others against the type of person I used to be. talking about dad and you had closed that out or we had closed that out by talking about how they used to bring me in have me stripped down and they would criticize you like and they you would, weren't even in the room they would talk about body they would do today that would be called body shaming there was not a term for that back then but today that would be called body shaming well there was lots of that there was lots of that there was multiple levels of shaming you know it was what's wrong with you yeah, because there's something wrong with you. Yes. There's something and wrong that's with you. not normal. You, you are not, there's something wrong Is that normal? That's not normal, is it? Yeah. And so, just like you're not even there. That's true. And that's I think true. that speaks a lot to how we were property instead of actual children or people or even, even a human being. It, it wasn't that. We were owned and we were criticized as far as, is your penis large enough? That I mean, was one what, of the questions. What kind of question is that? And I had, of course, I had, I was a little overweight, so I had the he hooters going on. Yeah, but you know, I found out since we were kids, we were overweight at one point. But my gynecologist actually <laughs> said to me, he said, uh, "So, do you overeat? Is that associated with? You think that's a coping mechanism for being molested?" <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Because Jesus. you can control your weight. But you couldn't and control that. if you make yourself unattractive, maybe the, oh, Jesus. you won't be a victim. Right. And so he hit that nail on the head. You know, that's exactly what it was. But I had never had anybody come out and say that. Because that me. was the only control you had. Because I had control of what went in my mouth. And maybe that wouldn't happen as much. But I remember not just the body shaming, but the there was always mental prowess and you know you said before that you made the decision to be a criminal and do the the things you did that were illegal and in the crime sector and but I remember being a kid and those things were applauded yes they were yes they were those ideas were applauded yes, they so were. you know well I remember <laughs> you say that I remember I don't know how old I was. I was maybe eight or nine as before mom left dad. And he used to say all the time, son, if you're going to break the law, do it right. Make sure it's feds because at least then you get steak. Yeah. <laughs> so there was that. But, you know, you talked, you mentioned the uh, control thing, how you sought control and you got it by overeating. Yeah, I did. It was this past year. Actually, it's just been 2019 that I've started talking about. I didn't even know what it was, Denise. I had, uh, when I was a kid, I don't know, I was maybe eight, nine, maybe a little younger than that. I would catch mom and dad gone and I would urinate in the house. I would pee on the carpet, down the drain, in the sink, something like that. I had no idea. I didn't have a clue why I did that. And I chose to, uh, I didn't talk about that publicly until this year until this year. 
And when I started talking about it, I was at a conference, and I mentioned that, and had this person come up to me, and they were uh, they had dealt with abuse victims, and they said that uh, that that was not uncommon, that children do that when they're abused, because that's the only control they've got, is that. I totally get that. So. Uh, I did the same thing. Okay. I did the same thing, and you know, I think there's an element of almost, it's like a fear, terror. Yeah, yeah. And literally, I did that for years. And, and of course, that feeds into the whole thing when they're telling you that there's something wrong with you. Oh, yeah. Because normal people don't do that. <laughs> right. Well, you know, here's the thing. We're not normal. Well, that's true. And so you just have to accept that and go on because that's just how it's going to be. It's not going to get better. That's just how it is. You can deal with a certain amount of it and you try to process it. And then for me, I did that for years. Okay. Years. I mean, I would try to make it to the bathroom and I would think that I didn't have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I pee on myself. I figured out it's associated when I'm thinking about all this. If sure. I can push this sure. back and I'm not dealing with it or right. I'm not reminded of it or somehow triggered by something else and you never, the strangest things will trigger those feelings and memories. And so, yeah. Oh yeah, smell. Pee all over yourself. Any, a, 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 a location, anything will trigger it. Just absolutely you know? pee absolutely. all over yourself. Or mine went further than that. I mean, mine included like literally hurting myself, you know? Right. I'd never heard of anybody like cutting themselves or things like that, but I was doing things like that Sure. long before I ever heard of someone doing that. Because um, at least you control that. Exactly. Intentionally hurting yourself, right. like a compulsion, almost can't help yourself. You can't help but do it. And so, yeah, I think that's a result of that abuse. I agree. And, and you know, of course, this is a crime podcast. And your crime. About. I wonder if, because you knew, <laughs> I mean, there's a certain amount of arrogance that you display. But at the end of the day, I mean, you've been in jail multiple times. Right. This started, and I'll, I'll talk about like our eighth grade, but this started years ago. And so we would have conversations and I would say to you, Brett, don't do stupid stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. If you're in doubt somehow, come and ask me and I'll tell you if it's Well, stupid. you know, so, so crime. But you kept doing it. You know, the first crime, the first when real crime I committed. When you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing and right. you know that you would get in trouble for it and you would get sentenced to anyway. jail and, you know, yeah. nobody wants to go to jail. Right. Then not only do you do it, <laughs> but then you're going, you would flaunt it in front of the people who would put you in jail, who would come after you. I'm guilty of you that. You would intentionally antagonize them. And so I wonder if that's not a form of hurting yourself. Well, I think it probably is. So, you know, of course, when I was a child, you know, I stole some matchbox cars as a young kid. But the first real crime was that shoplifting stuff, you know? You had, uh, mom had been gone for a few days, that negligence that you'd spoken about. 
Well, we didn't have any food. Didn't have any food. And we didn't I, have I any clothes. We didn't have right. any. I had two pairs of underwear. Like you had I a couple pairs of underwear. We didn't have any food. You come in. I remember it as. It started with the soap and toilet paper sure. from Pizza Hut because we didn't have either of those things. And so I was hungry. We had commodity cheese, that five-pound We did have commodity cheese. cheese. That was good cheese. That's all we had, though. <laughs> there was nothing that you ate with the cheese. You didn't have bread you or anything like that. You only had the cheese. Cheese and a cheese slicer. And so after a while, how much commodity cheese can you eat? You know, that stuff stops you up. And so <laughs> I'm which, serious. Which is I why mean, you have to have the toilet paper. So, and even the commodity cheese runs low. You're talking two kids days and days. Just cheese, that's it. And butter. And for those of those listeners out who don't remember commodity cheese, the government used to give out these big five-pound blocks of government cheese, commodity cheese and butter. Similar to Velveeta, only a little right. larger. So think about eating just that and the butter. That's it. That's and it. And so that was about the time that I decided she wasn't going to hit us anymore. That was along the same lines. This was pre-me hitting her back. And so we were in the basement. You and I were in the basement, locked in the basement. And grandparents and evil cousins upstairs, no food, no opportunities. And I was like, you know what? Enough. So I went over to the AMP and I was like, the grocery store, grocery store. And so I was like, I saw a pack of ham. And I, and like, I remembered it as pork chops, but it's evidently ham. It was what it was. It was a pack of ham okay. to start with. And so I was like, you know what? We're going to have some friggin' ham. That's what we're going to do. Let's see how this goes. And so let's see how this goes. I <laughs> shoplifted the ham. I did. Because I'd already taken the toilet paper and the soap. And I wanted to know what, how you'd done it. And I was like, well, what do you think I'm going to do? And so I brought it home and I was like, I got us some ham. Let's eat. So we start stealing food. I couldn't figure out how to steal a loaf of bread. I remember that. Do you remember how we did that? So, so the way we did that, because you could not stuff a loaf of bread down your pants or right. on your shirt because you'd squish it. Right. And that's when we started stealing clothes right there. Because yep. I went over, Kmart was across the way. I went over to Kmart and got a hoodie, and you could put the loaf of bread down in the sleeve of the hoodie and walk out with it. Right. So now you got sandwiches. Now you got sandwiches. Not only do you have ham and cheese, you've got a sandwich. <laughs> you got sandwiches. And, and you if you got a, two a sandwich, you're big time. That, and you can put a two liter of soda down in the sleeve too and walk out with it. Right. So, so that's. So we went from just necessities of. Let's have some food. Right. We're going to eat. Now we're going to determine what we're Enough. eating. <laughs> now we're going to have soda to go with it. So let's have so some So we started stealing clothes. Yeah. Well, then you find out. Because get... when you try to wash out your panties in the That's sink right. with the soap That's right. from Pizza Hut, it doesn't really clean them very well. So it started with that. And then, of course, Mom had been gone like three or four days on her party run. Oh, yeah. She comes back and... We've got food. We've got food. Where the <laughs> hell did that come from? And so you're the one that well, by, you know, by ended this up point, breaking it to her because I wasn't going to tell her. Right. I was like, no, you I'm told not... her. I told her we found it. Your oh, ass stands right. up. We stole it. That's right. Because she was all, I'm thinking, you by this left point, us I've got... here with nothing. I mean, we had a mattress on a poured yeah. concrete floor. 
No and I remember it as more no than sheets, three or four no days. Blanket, just a mattress. That's so much fun. Do you know how See, much I, fun it is? I, I, it had to be more than three or four days. It had to be more than three or four because by that point, I've got an Intellivision because you you can you figure oh, out yeah. you can take the hoodie and not only steal clothes using the hoodie, you get other stuff. but you can get other clothes, not only other clothes, but video stuff. games, toys, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have some stuff. Let's get some stuff. Yeah. And she sees all this bullshit. And she's like, that's a great idea. That's exactly right. And what's even better is I'm going to use you two to get me some stuff. Not only that, but I'm going to get my mom. So it's grandmother, mom, Denise, and Brett. Yeah, she can come pick her some stuff out too. And Denise and Brett can pack it out for us. Yep. So I remember them taking us to the mall. Over in Virginia. So we had taken several trips. We had taken several trips, and where it came to an end was the Fort Thomas Mall in Kingsport. Is Kingsport or Bristol? It was in a JCPenney's. Yeah, that was at the Fort Thomas Mall. So what happened was, is usually you guys would go to JCPenney's and steal whatever the hell was being stolen clothes, jewelry, whatever. I'd go to the bookstore and make a book run and steal books. And that's what happened that day. So we were supposed to, they had an S10 blazer. We were supposed to meet back at the blazer. So I go and steal a shitload of books in the hoodie, of course. Yeah. Bring the hoodie full of books back. No one's there at the blazer. And I'm like, what the hell? I saw it as, I hated that because I was like, you know, it's one thing, in my opinion, it was one thing that I was stealing things to eat or because I didn't have any clothes or toilet paper or whatever. That was one thing. But then when the adults who are supposed to be providing things like that for you and taking care of you, somebody's supposed to be taking care of you, but that's not happening. Not only are they not providing that for you, but now it's your turn to get me stuff. Right. So it would be, we're going to go in JCPenney's and I'm shopping and I'm going to pick out what I want. And now you are going to steal that for me. Right. That's what it amounted to. So that specific And so I was day, like, this is not stuff that I have to have to survive. And see, I never viewed it that way. You had a much better moral compass than I did. Because for you, it was survival. For me, I saw that as springboarding off into stuff. All right? And It wasn't that's where... the stuff. And I, I hated it because, you know, I thought somewhere in my child brain, <laughs> you know, there was always hope. There was always hope that things would turn out right and something would happen and it would trigger things Ah, to turn out right. And see right there, that's the difference between me and you right there. And it never worked that way. You had that hope that things were going to turn out. I had hope, which was foolish. And I had already dismissed that and figured out that things are only going to turn out if you make them turn out. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, when I said to her, I'd stolen the food. Right. When she was asking about that, when she'd come back from her party run. And I admitted that I'd stolen it, defiance. You know, I was like, I'm going to say this, and this will be the thing that kicks her in gear. And she'll be like, oh, wow, you know, because that's what happens on TV. You know, (laughs) when I see stuff on TV, you know, things work out. And maybe this time that's what's going to happen. Things are going to be, no, that's not what happened at all. No, that's not what happened at all. Instead, what happened was, this is a great opportunity for me. Right. And so let's see if I can get you to do this for me. And oh, by yeah, that point, I can definitely get so you. sure that was that was your because you never say no. And by you that point, I'm no. already I'm already 
you're only going to fix this if you fix it. So you're hoping someone will come in and fix it. I've already decided nobody's fixing it. <laughs> so let's go. And that's where the shoplifting shit ends at, at Fort Thomas Mall. I was waiting out there at the S10 Blazer. You all are not to be seen. I knew you were in JCPenney's. I wait out there a while, hide the books under the S10 Blazer, walk into JCPenney's. As I'm walking in, standing in the entryway there are two security guards, and I hear the name Brett Johnson come over one of their walkie-talkies. And I stopped right there, and I'm like, that's me. And they're like, you're Brett Johnson? I'm like, yeah, come with us. So I walk, they, they lead me to the security room where they've got you three up there. Grandmother and mom are huddled in a corner, hugging each other, screaming, crying, explaining how they've never done this before. It's a mistake, blah, 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 blah. You're in the opposite corner, just pissed off. I yeah, mean, you because, are just angry. Because it wasn't <laughs> the first time. This had been right. going on for quite some time. And, you know, it was just another thing. I think... It was one of the things that helped me decide that I wasn't going to take it. It was just amping it up and getting me psyched for, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get away from you, and I'm not going to have to do this. No, absolutely. One day absolutely. I won't. And so I'm sitting there, and I was like, total lie, total crap. Not only have you done it before, you've done it so many times before. And well, you were always the honest one about that. How is it that never, never anybody catches on? How is yep. this? And so... Because sometimes people can live their own whole lives like that and never face consequences. Never face That's consequences. That's exactly right. And so, anyway, they really didn't have to face a lot of consequence for that either. Well, they used and, us on that. Do you remember how oh, they got out of that? So they pressed charges. The cops did not want to put them in jail that night because then they would have had to have done something with me and you. Yeah. So they let them go. But you know what? I look back on that and I think you and I would have been so much better off if they had have done oh, something yeah. with us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have done something. You know, today parents <laughs> might threaten their kids with, you know, if you call social services, they're going to take you and you're going to put you in a foster home. Oh, my God. Absolutely. A foster home? <laughs> that would have probably been the best thing in the world. That would have been. I mean, even <laughs> if we like, were being sexually yeah. abused in the foster home, you know, it's like the notorious thing. That was no different than no, what was happening. No, no, I had that and everything else. So put me in the friggin' foster home. Right, right. That was the first real crimes I committed right there. But you remember when they would take us and give us the buckets? See, I didn't to remember stand you on with the, the buckets. I was with the bucket. So for those who don't know, and there's a lot Collecting money on the corner She's of telling the shopping you right there. So, center. You know, you see, the, you see these homeless people or these people on the side of the road raising money for whatever. Please give. And bar Kids none, are all, great to collect money. Yeah, there's always somebody in the crowd that says, hey, don't give those people money because they've probably got a house. They're probably doing really well. They don't really need it. They're scamming. Turns out that a lot of the times, at least in our circumstance, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. We would, they would give us a bucket. We'd have a sign that said for spousal abuse center, for needy children, whatever. Yeah. And we'd stand on the side of the road or in the shopping center collecting money. Not in hazard, though. Not in hazard. We'd have to take a road because they didn't want them to know. Who we were. So we'd drive, you know, 60, 80 miles out someplace <laughs> and set up shop for that Saturday and Sunday. So we could collect <laughs> some money for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
So there, we did that. And as I got older, I mean, you got away from that because, again, you had a better moral compass. But as I got older, I got more involved because, again, that's that Eastern Kentucky mentality. You know, the male is expected to be there anyway. So come, come now. But, well, uh, I think the way that mom, some of the mental abuse that she did, I think that you were willing to do more to please her. And in a lot of ways, you're like her dad. Yeah. You act a lot like him. Yeah. And I can remember when she was little a lot, or when you were little, a lot of things that she said to you were that you weren't her son. She didn't love you. Right. She had disowned you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there were a few disownings. There were lots of that. <laughs> and, you know, now as when an you're adult, five and six, that has you can effect. look at somebody who says, I disown you and be like, so? I don't care. <laughs> yeah, so? I don't care. But when you're a kid and it's your parent and... It has an effect. It certainly does. And it so I an think... Effect. And, you know, I got more involved with the types of crime, you know, document fraud, faking accidents, stolen cars, all that. Yeah. But I think you pointed money. it out. Laundering money. And you pointed out Fencing in the last... stolen goods. Fencing stolen goods. And you pointed out in the last episode, you said until... I had my breakdown. Yeah. That's so what we were doing the shoplifting. We were doing the collecting the money. She was out partying. We were living in the basement. Our grandparents wouldn't feed us. We had no clothes, no food. All this stuff was kind of going on at the same time. Dad was in Florida. And so we were in that basement. And Dad would call, or we could call him collect, from the payphone at the hospital. Right. And so you had went there to call him and had had a conversation with him. He had told you that he had a girlfriend and you got in the elevator and a lady got in the elevator that was blonde. Come to find out she looked a lot like our mother and you just went off on her and started wailing on her. Yeah, and I, uh... so the initial call from the police was that you had raped her assaulted her, robbed her. Tried to kill her. And tried to kill her. And so... And none of that had happened. What had happened was is I had beaten this woman up. I had beaten this woman up. The sad thing about that, I mean, it's, the whole thing is sad. I mean, I had... Uh, it was months later that I actually found out that the woman looked like our mother because yeah. I didn't hear all this story. Right. Until months later, you know, they had you in solitary confinement there in the county jail because yeah. you were so young and months in solitary confinement, I might add. And so months later, mom let it slip that they had sent a psychiatrist or somebody in to talk to you and that the woman looked like mom. And that's when I put it all together and I was like, holy shit, you know, the reason why is because, now this is what I thought and what I think today is you find out that dad's got somebody else now, so dad's not coming back. <laughs> the family unit is not going to be restored yeah. in all its dysfunction, yeah. and it's mom's fault. And so you attack this woman because she looked like her. And if she had been there, she would have gotten it, which she so deserves. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody deserves what I did. I, was charged I have to with, disagree. I was charged with first-degree assault. Oh, you paid for it. You paid for it dearly. I spent, what, I don't six, eight months in the county jail. Eight months. Solitary on that. 
and I was 14 or 15. 14. So I spent uh, eight months in, in solitary confinement, and uh, for years... And then they sent you to a group yeah. home after that. Yeah, for mental evaluation. For years, for years, for decades, I had um, told people that I did not remember anything that happened in that elevator. And the truth of the matter is, is I remember every single thing that happened in there. So is it because she looked like mom? And that's what it was? You were yeah, lashing out because... Probably, probably. I, I was certainly not rape or anything. I mean, I, there was none of that. Nor, nor was I charged with anything like that. Yeah, they dropped those charges but, because um, it didn't happen. And they found her wallet. Yeah. yeah. But that woman did not deserve that. No, but nobody deserves that. But our mother deserved that. No, nah, see, I, I don't think anyone I, deserves anything like that, regardless. You know, when you're that young, man, I mean, I, I don't want to give an excuse. I did that. I don't want to give an excuse. I did that. Was it a breakdown? Yeah, it was. Yeah, goddamn, it was a it breakdown. Was <laughs> yeah, it a was breakdown. a fucking breakdown, all right. You could not handle one more thing. And so I totally get it. Totally get it. You know, I don't. I still don't. To this day, I don't get it. I absolutely get it. And, you know, I think when you're pushed to the point that you're finally at a point like that, yeah. you're not dealing with being rational. Well, that's certainly true. And, it, and, it's beyond rational. And certainly after, you know, before that happened, I got in several fights in school. Oh, we were always fighting. Yeah. But I after, was always fighting. You were always fighting. Yeah. But, you know, after that and to this day, I've never, I've never touched another human being. Looking back on it as a child, I was so angry. Sure, sure. And so I could sit in our house with all that was going on. The fighting, of course, that was minor. The homicidal <laughs> tendencies that were going on Not there. so minor. From various people, you know, there was so much of that. Yeah. All of that, I could sit there and almost disconnect myself from it. But the truth is that it was still there, and it was all just boiling on the inside. Right. And so I had lots of little meltdowns. And, you know, with um, I wish to God I'd never done that. I don't know. I guess hardly a day goes by that I don't think that, even today. So we're talking, I'm 49. We're talking, uh, what, 30 years later? You know, and um, I know that it certainly affected my victim's life. I'm sorry for the effect of that. And it continued to affect mine for, well, Jesus, for years after that. You know well, I mean? the fact <laughs> of the matter is, I think if that hadn't happened, you probably would have killed somebody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that if that release hadn't, if I hadn't if broken there. If it had continued there, to build, it would have you would have killed somebody. It certainly would have. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I can say to you that the thought has gone through my head many times. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it affected everybody, man. So certainly my victim, it destroyed her life. With you, you had to face the consequences with that. Uh, well, you, you had I the think, brother that did that No, in a small area. I think the biggest effect of that on me was I didn't have you. Well, yeah, because, you know. You weren't <laughs> there. So I get out, what, eight or nine months later. That was a big thing. You were not there with me. Yeah. And how much I missed you. And then there was guilt. I had so much guilt because I was like, I let him get to that point. Well, you couldn't stop that. 
What There's should I have stuff. done? What could I have done? And yeah, then not, I mean, you, the whole you, rage no to toward stop, the situation that we were in and the inability to be able to fix that. Well, and that's what, and, and honestly, that. you know, that may have been part of the reason that you were able to get out much sooner because at that point, you and I kind of get split up at that, at, from school and everything else. So, so we're in Perry County. Yeah. So the best school they is had, Hazard High School. They, and they had three high schools. They had Napier, they had Hazard High School, and then they had Dills Combs, which was on the outskirts of town. So the first stop, of course, because we were closer to Napier, the first stop was Napier High School. And uh, I wasn't even allowed in the door. The kids meet me at the door. The kids meet me at the door, tell me I'm not allowed there, and threaten violence. It was like a, a mini riot outside of the high school. Because we enrolled ourselves. Remember yes. Remember that? So the next one is mom we takes... We enrolled ourselves actually in middle school. Yeah. So the next one is mom takes me and you over to Hazard High School. I'm sitting outside. I think you were out there with me. The principal tells mom that you're welcome there, but I'm not. Well, they didn't want either one of us. But he said he would take you. Yeah. So mom comes out and says it, and at that point, I mean, I didn't know what to do. I told mom, I was like, look, please, please, God, just, just take me to this high school at the outskirts of the county. Just please, you know, please do that. And, uh, and really, you know what? That was the best place for you. Oh, geez, it was wonderful, You man. had Carol Combs. Who, you know, kind of, who uh, took you under her wing, yeah, she, uh, and then uh, you had Robert. Yeah, you, 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 you go to Hazard, and I go up to Dills Combs, and uh, that's where I met my first decent person outside of the family, Carol Combs, yep. English teacher. And uh, I went on to, I mean, I excelled there. I mean, they knew who I was, but they accepted me in there. Yeah. And uh, I went on to become head of the academic team. I went to theater, became best actor in the state, head of mock trial, head of everything, you know, and actually excelled there, did really well, and had friends all of a sudden, friends who knew, you know, I never mentioned it to them, but they, uh, they knew who I was and what I had done, and uh, they still accepted me. Yeah. And you had good friends there, too. Had good friends. I think that Carol had a lot to do with that. She did. By the way she treated you. She did. She and did. she took you under her wing. She saw the potential in you. And, you know, while I was there, there was no crime. You know, I stopped that bullshit, and I was becoming a healthy person. And that lasted for, I was there for two years. And, of course, when that ends, ends you know, when you're out of high school... You were fortunate enough, you realized that much sooner than I did that you needed to get out of that. So you go to Berea. <laughs> well, that was just part of me being defiant. I was like, I'm going. I'm going regardless. And you had opportunities to leave. I did. I did. I but did not. mom tightened the screws on you. Yeah. And I did not leave. And so you had that full scholarship to UT. Yeah, I had, a, I had a couple of scholarships. And you had the one out, California, Berkeley. Yep. yep. And you didn't take either one of those. Right. She talked you out of that. Yeah. And so you stayed. So I stayed, and I got involved in more crime, from faking accidents to stolen cars to laundering money to document fraud to benefit fraud, insurance fraud, helping run illegal coal mines. <laughs> and stripping off you. Stripping. 
Uh, helping to uh, uh, grow marijuana. Do you remember when we used to have to intercept the feds? Did you ever have to do that? I don't know. Coming up to check the Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, on the strip mine, the illegal coal mine, we would be... So, you know, hell, I'm, what, 16, 17 Because they'd confiscate the equipment. And so you would have to to watch. That was high school. Yeah, that was high school. So, I mean, we were... We were more aware of everything that was going on. We would pretend the car was broken down. Oh yeah. To block the road. Yeah. And so you'd, you'd park you park there, block and as the, the police road. come, the car be oh we're broken down. <laughs> we're just these poor pitiful kids. Yeah. You know? So stealing coal, all that stuff, and that was the crimes, man. I mean, that was that was it. So. <laughs> yeah, I had a teacher in high school, Mr. Arthur who was a math teacher. He taught algebra and geometry. And so I had supposed to be an algebra class and this was like ninth grade. And so I didn't go to class. And that was when we were like stealing tests and selling them and things like that. Oh, hell, that? I forgot about it. I, you remember me being, ex, not expelled, but suspended. <laughs> I was suspended for stealing a test, stealing the, so we were at, it's before I got to Dills Combs. I was at Whitesburg High School, uh-huh. and this kid, his name was Jesse McBee. <laughs> we were in French class, and I had Jesus. I had it was like a seventy-two average, sixty-eight or seventy-two average. I had to have an A on the final exam just to pass the class. Uh-huh. So Jesse comes to me, and he was like, "I know where the final exam is," and I was like, "You do?" <laughs> he was like, yeah. "Yeah." I was like, "Huh? Show me that." So he had uh, put toilet paper in the door so it wouldn't lock. So we got into the teacher's room, got the test out during lunch, went downtown, photocopied the test. Of course, we were both idiots. We had no idea what the questions were because it was in French. We hadn't studied. (laughs) So we're like, how do we even answer these? We've got the test. We don't know what it's asking. So uh, we put the test back on the desk. We go to the top people in the class show them the test and say, answer the damn things for us. And we start selling the test. The next day, of course, someone has ratted us out. Principal calls us in. I get suspended for 10 days right during finals week. Jesse gets suspended. Principal looks at me. I know you're the mastermind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what are you talking about? It was his idea to steal the test. I know you're the mastermind. He would have never thought of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely did that. We were also fencing stolen goods during that time. Oh, yeah. But Mr. Arthur, I went to class one day, and it was near the end of the year. Well, you'd, you'd get a list of what, what the kids wanted to steal. Right. You'd go and steal the shit and, and deliver sell it. it to them. Exactly. But we needed the money. Yeah. To buy bread. <laughs> well, we were stealing bread. We needed the money for something. Putting it in the sleeve was not easy. <laughs> needed money for something. And, yeah, you can't pay the water bill on stolen groceries and underwear and things. Yeah, the crime. So we came by it naturally. And, of course, as I got older, I got more involved. And finally, I mean, you got out by going to Berea. Well, Mr. Arthur, actually. He was the one that did that for you? He actually kind of turned me around in that I went to his class near the end of the, the term. And he had put up a problem in algebra class and so 
he said, I don't think y'all can solve this. And so I sat in the back and everybody knew that I was like trouble. And so <laughs> I didn't usually come to class. That one's trouble. And so he came around and I was the only one in the room that had the question right. I had figured out the answer. And so he's like, how do you do this? I thought he was thinking I cheated, which I usually, I had the answer keys sure. for most classes. And so anyway, I did end up showing him how I'd done it. And so he was like, I'd never seen that before, and it's correct, and yeah. And so he said to me as I was leaving, you know, why don't you come to class tomorrow? <laughs> why don't you try to attend tomorrow? And so <laughs> Just I sit like, in with us. So I went, <laughs> and make a long story short, I ended up going to his geometry class the next time after Algebra 1, which I passed. He gave me like a D minus, I so didn't deserve. And <laughs> anyway did great in geometry and then signed up for his algebra two, which I didn't get to go to because we'd moved. But anyway, he just had some faith in me and showed me that I might be able to do the school thing. Sure, sure. And so I was like, that's a possibility. And then I saw that too, that thinking about, I gotta get out of here. That might be a possibility for a means to get out. Right. So that's how you how you got out. Yeah. Okay. So of course, I would take a while longer to get out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you had lots of talent, and well, Carol we were Holmes both scary that. smart, right? I mean, that was part of the problem, is that we were both very bright people. <laughs> well, thank God we were given that gift. Yeah. You know? We were both very we were bright. Given some intelligence. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. Please tell your friends about us. Rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching Season 2 of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.